Well, I still remember uh, with a lot of detail and clarity uh, the first time I saw it, I was in a school bus driving with my family down to Detroit and we got out and went into the Fox Theater and I sat right over here on uh, the left side of the room there and watched uh, Les Miserables for the first time, the musical. And if you're not familiar with the story of Les Mis, it's set in uh, early 19th century France and it's about a man named Jean Valjean who is thrown in prison, 20 years of hard labor for stealing a single loaf of bread to feed his sister and his sister's child. And after he does his time, he's released, but now he's a felon. And he can't get work, and everywhere he goes, he's uh, beaten by guards and, and looked down upon. And he's at the end of his rope, he's destitute. And it's at that moment that he stumbles into a church. And he's greeted by a bishop, and he's taken in and fed and clothed and given a place to sleep. But during the night, he knows that the next morning he's going to have to move on. And in a moment of weakness, he gets up and goes through the kitchen and takes all the silver and finds anything else of value in the house. And, and he leaves. He steals it. Well, the next day, the guards catch him and they bring him back and they bring him before the bishop. And they said, this man has stolen from you. The bishop looks at him and he sees what's happened. And he says to the guards, no, you've, you've made a mistake. I gave these things to him. And he says to John Valjean, but, but you forgot the most important things. And he goes to the altar and he takes the two candlesticks. And he gives them to John Valjean. He says, you forgot the most important thing. And he sends the guards away. And John Valjean says, why, why did you do that? Why did you save me? Listen to what the bishop says to him. He says, John Valjean, my brother, you no longer belong to evil. With this silver, I have bought your soul. I've ransomed you from fear and hatred, and now I give you back to God. And John Valjean spends the rest of this story trying to come to terms with this moment of grace, this intersection of his life and the grace of God and, and, and how he should live out of that and how he should give that grace to others. And in a final scene of the musical of the story, John Valjean is on his deathbed and he's looking back at his life and he's just marveling at the former employee who'd been wronged, who he took their child, their, that, that woman's daughter, and he raised her as his own. And, and when that daughter fell in love with a man and got married, he, he actually, in battle, saved that man's life. And, and his enemy, Javert, he saved his life. And, and there's moment after moment of grace that occurs through John Valjean. And as he, as he passes from this world to his final rest, that same bishop welcomes him into heaven and blesses him and shows him, look what God has done through your life. Look what the grace of God has done. Look at the man you used to be and look at the man that you are now. And what is it about stories like that that are so captivating, that are so compelling? Is it just the music? Is it just the drama, the, the literary retelling of it? I don't think so. I think, I think stories like this captivate our imagination 
Because deep down, we know that we're living in a story like this. We know that something has gone horribly wrong in our hearts, in our families, in our world. We know that there's brokenness and there's injustice. There's hunger and fear and hate. And we long for that to be set right. We long to see the grace of God intersect in our lives and bring healing and bring transformation. We resonate with a story like Les Mis because it is a story of transformation. And here at Resurrection, we believe that transformation is real. We believe it's possible. We believe the gospel does change us, that it changes everything. Our heart, our, our vision is to see a, a sanctuary of transformation where all can come, experience the grace of God, and be sent out to show that grace to others. And we see it happening in people's lives. We see lives that are changing. Every so often, someone will say to me, did you, did you hear what's happening in this person's life? The grief that they were going through, the hurt that they were going through. They're inviting God into that, and he's walking with them, and he's bringing healing in their life. And it's hard, and it's, it's painful, but God's with them, and, and God's changing them. Or did you hear about this person? They've been addicted for a decade, and they're finally giving that to the Lord. And, and it's a long journey, but, but they're seeing victory, and for the first time in years, there's freedom. Or, did you see so-and-so on Sunday? Six months ago, they didn't think they had anything to offer the church. They didn't think they had anything to give, but, but God's calling out the spiritual gift that he has given to them that he gives to each of us that we read about in the passage. And they're beginning to use that gift, and they're a different person, they're a new person. God's changing them. Transformation is real. It happens. And we have this hope, this audacious belief that the God who created us is wonderfully restoring us. And he's, he's transforming us into who he made us to be. And one day, he'll transform us completely into the image of of Jesus Christ. And he'll transform this world into what he intended it to be. That's the story of transformation. And it's a story that God invites each of us to enter into. And when we respond to that story, that response is called worship. In the passage that... Nadine read from Romans, the Apostle Paul gives us a picture of what this type of worship looks like. Right there in verse uh, 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. He starts out with, therefore. When I was a student at Wheaton College, the president was Dwayne Litfin. And whenever he would teach in chapel and, and we get to one of Paul's, you know, therefores, he'd say, whenever you see a therefore, you have to stop and ask yourselves what it's there for. <laughs> and I thought that was so cheesy. <laughs> but it's actually pretty good. It's helpful. It's a good thing to remember. And I don't know what it is about having kids, but I'm a dad now, and so cheesy is like right up my alley. That's like, that's dad humor right there. 
What is it about having kids that instantly ages your humor like half a century? I don't know. (laughs) So, therefore, I urge you, because of this, in light of this, what's going on? Well, previous to this, in in the rest of the letter of Romans, Paul's giving kind of a a fairly systematic overview of, of what he understands the gospel to be. Unlike his letters to Galatia or Ephesus or Corinth, Paul didn't found the church in Rome. Paul is likely hasn't visited it yet when he's written this letter. And so it's a letter of introduction. It's a letter of saying, here's who I am. Here's the gospel I received from the Lord. Um, and, and when I come to you later, you'll know me and you'll know what I preach. And so he starts out in the first chapter by, by talking about how our world is a broken place how we have turned from the Lord and our hearts have been darkened and God has let us uh, go into spiritual darkness. He's given us that choice. And then in Romans 3.23, he says, all have sinned and we've all come short of the glory that God created us for, the glory of God. And in Romans 5.8, he says, but there's good news. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And that God demonstrated his love for us while we were still sinners. He gave himself for us on the cross. He gives us the gift of God, which is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And then in, this, in the middle section of Romans, he deals with this question, well, is this gift of God, is it just for Jews? Or does this gift of God include the Gentiles? Or has, has God, because of the Jews' hard-heartedness, has he forgotten them? Has he turned from his chosen people? And Paul, in chapter 11, concludes, no. The gospel of God's grace is for everyone. It's for all people. And Paul's so overwhelmed by this that at the end of chapter 11, he says, Oh, the depth and the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. For from Him and through Him and for Him are all things. To Him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in light of the great mercy of God, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Because of the great story of what God has done for us in Christ, our response is worship. Our response is the offering of all that we are to the Lord. And Paul says that that response is true and proper. Another translation says it's reasonable. It makes sense. It makes sense to respond to God in this way. I still, uh, I I remember the day I proposed uh, to my wife, to Bonnie. That's who was just singing a minute ago. And uh, it was summer of 2005, and she was in New York, and I was in Michigan, and I was working for half the summer there, and then I was going to be traveling to New York. So I knew when I get there, I'm going to be proposing. So I got this this job, uh, the night shift at an automotive uh, parts factory. And it was a horrible job, but it was awesome because I got to say that, like, I worked a night shift at a factory to buy this ring. That's just great to be able to say. And, and so I'm, I'm getting ready for this proposal, and I, I had a friend, uh, I commissioned a painting for it, and I wrote some really mediocre poetry. And I wrote a song which is, was marginally better than the poetry, and I planned the day, and I planned a meal, and... I planned as much as I could because I wanted, to, I wanted to give her everything. I wanted to offer her everything. And I looked into her eyes and I said, Bonnie, will you marry me? And she looked into mine and she said, let me think about it. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. She didn't say that. 
No, she said yes. And then a year later, we, we said our marriage vows to one another before the Lord and before the church. And we, we vowed to give one another everything, to give ourselves wholly and completely to one another. Because it makes sense. And we hurt each other sometimes and, and we hold back and, and we're selfish and we're broken. But in our hearts, don't we all long to give ourselves completely to someone else who's given themselves completely to us? Don't we all long in our hearts to feel safe and trustworthy enough with another person to be able to give completely and to know that they've given completely to us? It's natural, it's reasonable, it's proper because it's got how God created us. He created us in His image and He is the one who gave up everything for us. Who in Christ offered Himself and so in response, we offer ourselves to him. It's true. It's reasonable. It's how God made us. Notice what that offering looks like. It's a living sacrifice. Paul's using temple language here, an offering, a living sacrifice. It's their temple ritual of worship. But the phrase living sacrifice, that... That doesn't make any sense. By definition, a sacrifice isn't living. It's dead. It's been slaughtered. It's been slain. But there was one sacrifice that was slain. One lamb that was killed that is alive. And that's Jesus Christ. Paul unpacks this earlier in Romans in chapter 6, verses 3 and 4. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. When we offer ourselves, our death, our death to self, allows the Lord to raise us to new life. Our death to self allows God to to work His transformation in us, to turn us into living sacrifices. There's nothing we can give that's more than our life. It's everything. Our whole selves. It's all-encompassing. The sacrifice of ourselves is ultimate, but so is the resurrection that Christ brings. The worship that Paul is talking about is worship in a very broad sense. Often when we think of worship, we think of a worship service or worship music. And those things are really important. But worship, worship goes deeper. Worship is about our heart and about our offering to the Lord. But when we come to church on Sundays and when we worship, and when we worship in our, our daily devotions... The purpose of that worship is to teach us to worship. The purpose of the worship service is to teach us how to offer ourselves to the Lord as living sacrifices. It coaches us. It teaches us. It forms us into a people that knows how to offer ourselves, that knows how to sacrifice. Worship teaches us to do this in two ways. First, it tells the story of God's offering himself to us. When we read 
the words of Scripture, when we sing, when we celebrate the Eucharist, we see what God has done. And then, in seeing that story of transformation and in taking part in it and participating in it, we are invited to respond by making an offering of ourselves. And worship uh, in the service comes to us through all of our senses. It engages all of who we are so that we can offer all of who we are to the Lord. God created us as people with heart, mind, soul, and strength. And he created us with bodies and with intellects and with emotions so that we could know him through our bodies and through our intellects and through our emotions. And so worship engages us holistically so that we can offer ourselves holistically to the Lord. When we sing, we hear the music with our our ears and we sing it with our voices and we feel it and the rhythm in our bodies. And we, we lift our hands and open ourselves to the Lord and we reach for the Lord. And in confession, we kneel and we humble ourselves. And when we celebrate Eucharist, which we'll do on Saturday as our, our closing service of the conference, we'll see the drama of God's salvation played out in bread and wine on the table. And we'll have the opportunity to, to actively respond, to come up and come forward and to receive it. And to take it into ourselves, to eat it, to drink it. To respond with our whole being to what God has done for us. Christ came in a body to redeem our body. As we worship together this weekend, I really encourage you to respond with everything you are. As we sing, to lift up your arms to the Lord. As we pray, to kneel or to use your bodies so that the worship service and the worship music and our, our communal worship together teaches us all how to be people who offer ourselves completely to the Lord. It's the week in and week out offering of ourselves to God in deeper uh, ways um, that allows us, when, allows us to do that when difficult things come into our lives. And I've seen that happen in my life uh, on a number of occasions. I wanted to share one uh, with you. A couple years ago, um, two of my mentors, pastors here at the church, Keith and Steve, came to me and they had a hard word for me. See, I had grown up uh, with a vision and a dream to be a worship leader. I led worship in high school, I'd studied it in college, and I just had a dream of being a worship pastor at a church having a, a ministry that was vibrant, that was creative, that was serving the Lord. That was, that was my dream for my life. That's what I wanted to do for the Lord. And they came to me and said, Trevor, we think that God has called you and gifted you uh, to be a pastor and to care for people and, and to teach. And we actually want you to, to not keep leading worship. And we want you to, for a season, take a break from being a musician in our services to focus on these other areas. And that was, that was really difficult to hear because I had this dream and I hadn't done it yet. I thought maybe one day I would transition from worship leader to, to a pastor, teacher, but I thought that would be when I was, you know, wasn't hip and young enough to do music anymore, you know? When I was like 35 or something. <laughs> Just kidding. 
But it was coming earlier, and I wasn't ready for it. And, and I had to, to process that and discern that and walk through that. And, and I, had to, I had to let it go. I had to be willing to let that dream die if that's what the Lord wanted. I had to offer up everything to the Lord. And it was only the week in and week out worship and prayers of the church that taught me how to do that. Praying, Lord, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Each week with the community of people offering themselves to the Lord. It's the only way I could have done it. And just recently, the Lord gave me a gift, a a glimpse into that whole process. It was the uh, first week after my ordination that I was serving as a deacon on my own. And uh, we didn't plan it this way, but Bonnie happened to be leading worship that week. And um, you see, when, when I followed the Lord and, and let that dream die and let go of it, God gave Bonnie a deeper and richer and fuller calling as a worship leader. And so on this Sunday, I was setting uh, the Eucharist table for the first time. And Bonnie and the music team were singing. And they were singing a song that we had all written together. And I was so full of joy. Because I was doing what God had called me to do. And they were doing what God had called them to do. And it's because we offered ourselves And because the church taught us in this school of sacrifice to be living sacrifices. And God took that grief and the dream that had died and he raised it to a new living sacrifice. Paul teaches us more about what this living sacrifice looks like in verse 2. He compares it to being conformed. He says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That word transformed, it's uh, the same Greek word that we get the word metamorphosis from. The caterpillar that changes into a butterfly. And I've got a four and a half year old daughter and she loves butterflies. It's spring and I knew I was doing this teaching. So I was like, come on, give me a good illustration for, for the teaching. Do something profound with a butterfly. Like taking them on walks, hoping something will happen. <laughs> she came in um, from the balcony a couple weeks ago and she said, I've got a caterpillar. I was like, yes, this is it. <laughs> and she ran into the other room. I said, be, be gentle with the caterpillar. But she's at that age, she's got kind of an of mice and men sort of interaction with small creatures, if you know what I mean. So a few minutes later, she came out and said, Daddy! I accidentally squished a caterpillar, and now it's dead forever! So bereft of an illustration from my children, I turned to a children's movie, The Fox and the Hound. There's a caterpillar, and he's friends with a couple birds, and uh, in the fall, the birds fly south for the winter, and they come back in the spring, and the caterpillar's in his cocoon, and they're like, what's going on? And then there's a flash of light, and the butterfly comes out, and they're like, who is this? And then they, they look in the, the little animated caterpillar's eyes and they realize, oh, it's the same caterpillar. It's our friend. 
And that's metamorphosis. It's this internal change that expands and explodes to every part of us. But it's not a change into something completely different. It, it's more of a becoming. We're still the same person, but now we're the person that God has created us to be. It's metamorphosis. But in contrast to that, if, if transformation is an inward reality that works its way outward, uh, being conformed is an outward pressure that, that squeezes us into a mold. It'd be like taking that caterpillar and having a butterfly mordant and just trying to squish that caterpillar into wings. It would squish it. That's what happens when we try to conform. When in our weekly worship and prayers, we simply go through the motions without offering ourselves to the Lord. We have an outward appearance of Christianity. We have an outward practice of devotion. We even have an intellectual assent and belief, but we don't have an offering of ourselves to the Lord. And that's not metamorphosis. That's masquerade. It's being conformed. And Paul urges us, don't masquerade. Be transformed. But when we, when we go through the motions and we don't give ourselves to the Lord, we will give ourselves to other things. That's how God created us in His image. We will worship something. And if we don't worship the Lord, when the stresses and anxieties and hurts and challenges of life come, we will give ourselves to whatever we can that will help us get by. We'll give ourselves to relationships in an unhealthy way. We'll give ourselves to our work. We'll give ourselves to addiction, to the abuse of alcohol or drugs. And in all our culture today, increasingly, we give ourselves to sexual addiction, to pornography, to other unhealthy forms of intimacy that are outside of the confines of marriage between a man and a woman. We'll give ourselves to these things because we have to give ourselves to something. And our hearts cling to these other things, to these idols. And we turn to them, and we rely on them, and we trust them. And it becomes harder and harder to give ourselves to the Lord. It becomes more and more difficult to trust Him. And the Apostle Paul says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, don't do that. Don't give yourselves to these other things. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Offer yourselves to Him. Offer yourselves as a living sacrifice. It's not just Apostle Paul. It's not just me. Do you hear the voice of the Lord calling to us today? I urge you. After growing up with the story of Les Mis, uh, when the movie came out last winter, uh, my wife and I went to see it, and we enjoyed it. And I noticed something about it that I had never noticed before. Uh, Jean Valjean's antagonist, his enemy throughout Les Mis, his name is Javert. And there's a moment at the end of the movie where Jean Valjean saves Javert's life. And so Javert has this encounter with the grace of God. And when Javert sings his song about that encounter, it's the same melody as when John Valjean uh, sings the song after his encounter with God's grace through the bishop. 
And I had to believe that it's not just the composer running out of ideas, but that he wants us to take a look at these two responses to God's grace. And we'll see that one response is, is being conformed, but one response is being transformed. Listen to what Javert says. I am reaching, but I fall, and the stars are black and cold as I stare into the void of a world that cannot hold. I'll escape now from the world, from the world of John Valjean, the world of, of grace. There's nowhere I can turn. There's no way to go on. Javert has spent his life conforming to an external set of rules and behaviors and the life system he's built for himself. We do this too with our addictions, our comforts, our meaningless distractions. We build up a world for ourselves and we give ourselves to that. And when God's grace comes, we don't know how to accept it. And Javert didn't know how to accept it. And instead, he literally spirals out of control as he throws himself to his death. Friends, when we offer ourselves to Christ, he turns us into living sacrifices. But when we offer ourselves to other things, they lead to death. But in John Valjean, we see a true worshiper. He says, I'm reaching, but I fall, and the night is closing in. And I stare into the void, to the whirlpool of my sin. I'll escape now from that world, from the world of John Valjean. John Valjean is nothing now. Another story must begin. And it's that story of transformation. And it's that new beginning that God has for each of us at each moment when we turn to him and when we offer ourselves to him. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, offer yourselves to the Lord as living sacrifices. For this is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind.